high in the hills of Happy Valley, Oregon. Welcome to Until We Meet Again, brought to you by the kind support of Cornerstone Funeral Services in Boring, Oregon, and friends like you. I'm Elizabeth Fournier. This radio broadcast is an expression of our common ground and mortality, because after all, we are all in this together. My reading today is edited and adapted from David White. It's called The Well of Grief. Those who will not slip beneath the surface on the well of grief turning down to its black water, to the place that we cannot breathe, will never know the source from which we drink the secret water, cold and clear, nor find in the darkness the small gold coins thrown by those who wished for something else. My guest today is Anne Richardson. She is a very educated and curious young lady. She earned a Master's of Arts in Christian Education and a Certificate in Spiritual Direction from George Fox Evangelical Seminary. She is a board-certified chaplain, a certified spiritual director. She might have to help me out with this. She's a certified Veriditas, is that right? Veriditas. Ah, Veriditas, labyrinth facilitator. And she's a poet based right here in Portland, Oregon. And established Nurture Your Journey in 2016 after working in home hospice for more than seven years. Wow, that's a really, really long stretch. And her training as a chaplain has further honed her skills in intentional listening. So Anne, intentional listening, yes please, what is it and where do I get it? Whew, thank you for, oh, saying all that good stuff about me. Um, I think that's on my website actually, so that sounds all very accurate. Um, well, thank you first of all for thanking uh, for having me, Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. I'm really pleased to be here today. Ah, intentional listening. So I'm trained in the art of spiritual direction, which is the art of deep listening, which is actually very ancient, a very ancient process of just sitting and holding holy space for someone to listen to their own story, is what I say, which is a broader understanding than the original uh, point of Um, spiritual direction or spiritual companionship, which is one of the components I offer in Nurture Your Journey. Um, My business is actually wider than that, but I think today I'd like to focus on the idea of spiritual companionship, or anamkara is the um, Irish way of saying it or looking at it. So spiritual companionship, spiritual uh, journey or spiritual direction is sitting with someone in the holy space and letting them hear their deepest parts of themselves. Mm. So uh, I I just get the shivers when I even think about being with someone in that space. Um, mm. So when someone comes to me, they are not just with me. Before someone even enters into the room, I sit for a time in meditation, I ask the holy in my life to be present, to set aside any ego that I have, just so I can deeply listen and be present. I ask the holy in that person's life who is coming to me to be present also with us. The person that comes to me may have issues of grief and loss, which is a primary focus of my business because I have been so involved in that through my training. They may have life transitions, they may have questions about their spiritual or faith journey. I don't bring my faith into the discussion because that is not what they're there for. They may have a pastor or somebody else that they may go seek answers to those questions about. I'm there to support them 
and whatever they need in their life, questions they may be asking, deeper stories. How do people know that they need you? Because they might not know outright that you're who they needed, but after you explain this, someone might say, yeah, you're right. So who do you find knocking on your door? Yeah. So primarily now my referrals come sometimes from from a therapist who, um, so I'm not a therapist. Actually, I would like to clarify that, though I understand some therapies through my training and um, have worked with therapists and um, people that are in therapy, spiritual direction and therapy like if you looked at a, ver- a Venn diagram, there's some overlap in what we offer. Therapists are able to diagnose mental health concerns, depression, and things like that. I don't diagnose. Um, so a therapist might say, you know what, you have some spiritual issues that seem to be coming up, and it might be helpful for you to go talk to someone like a spiritual, direct- a spiritual director. So why don't you see someone like Anne or uh, someone else? There's a resource called Spiritual Directors International they could go to and has a listing of people. They might be referred to someone from their faith tradition, if they're in a faith tradition, um, usually through a Google search probably. Uh, or, and with my history in uh, grief and loss, it would be maybe through a hospice or an organization. Uh, through bereavement, um, I belong to Northwest Association of Bereavement Education and Death, or Death Support and Bereavement Education, Northwest ADEBS. And it might be through a resource like that where someone is needing bereavement support and they know someone needs someone to listen to their grief story and maybe the bereavement support has run out through their hospice. They know someone needs to be listened to deeply a little farther. It's almost like a talking doctor in a sense. I think if we all could have somebody we could just know that will listen to us and maybe not judge or maybe even offer suggestions, but just listen would be such a beautiful and delightful treat. Yeah, it's very much a non-judgmental presence. Um, I often say I listen to the story. I weave the threads of their life story together, and um, I don't tell them something. I may... mm, offer um, an observation say how does this feel how does this fit and they have they might say you know what that makes sense or no that doesn't quite feel right yet they say okay so we listen a little deeper weave some more threads of the story Uh, maybe over different sessions they'll all of a sudden go oh remember from last time that all of a sudden weaves together it makes sense also look at um uh, the deeper stories, maybe some ancestral stories that come together. Um, I was talking to someone who has some Jewish history in the background and talking about something as simple as food and, and how they used to have, uh, in her family, these big sandwiches that were made. And then when she went out into a more Protestant community, the sandwiches were tinier. I said, <laughs> could be something as simple as maybe from a Jewish background. There was always uh, ancestrally the... The idea that you had to flee all the time. You had to have food ready on a day's notice. That's Interesting. Very, very deep. So just something to explore. It's just about being curious about your own life story versus judging your own life story. So creating that sacred space. And it is very sacred space. And I know you're obviously interested in your life story. You have roots in England and parents mm-hmm. from there. And since you have these British roots, I know that you went on a really interesting several week trip recently to connect and visit family and return a portion of your mother's ashes to her homeland. Yeah. So, so my interest in grief and loss, of course, grew out of um, partly out of my own story. 
my father died when I was 26. And, um, you know, in that British way of dealing with grief and loss, we did the stiff upper lip and carried on through life. And then when I, um, I went to chaplain uh, to uh, seminary and when I was 40, on my mother's urging, and at 50 went back to do the training as a chaplain and no, not 50, just, just before 50. Um, I'm 60 now, which was very kind of you to say I'm a young woman. I'm a crone and owning it. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, so as I finished up my chaplaincy training and went into uh, hospice work, a uh, mm, couple years into hospice, and noticed some um, deficiencies in my mother's memory. And my mother was a kind, gentle, very intelligent woman. And noticed she was starting to slip into dementia. And people that are familiar with dementia know you have something called anticipatory grief, anticipatory loss, and started to walk that journey with her. And working with hospice, uh, worked a lot with elderly people and in memory care units. And coming up into the seven-year mark of working with hospice and noticing my mother's decline, realized that um, I was brushing up against some of my own stuff. And one of the gifts of chaplaincy training uh, for people that don't understand, I'm going to do a little sidebar here on chaplaincy training and why it mirrored so well with my spiritual direction training is about 50% of it is um, clinical work. You're out on the floor working with people. Another 25% of it is doing that work of understanding uh, ethics, uh, family systems, the psychosocial stuff. Uh, I did a fellowship in post-traumatic stress disorder, moral injury, all those extra add-ons that just, you know, let you know how people's brains work and um, family values and all those kind of things and uh, disease diagnosis, that kind of stuff that makes us valuable part of the medical team. The other 25 cent is delving deep into your own stuff. So you're a safe person on the floor to be with other people. So if, some, if you're meeting with a patient... You can say, well, something's going on here. Well, it's not the patient, it's my own stuff. So I need to set that aside to be a safe person for people to meet with. So I realized as I was getting into hospice work and my mother was declining into her own Alzheimer's that um, it was getting harder and harder for me to be in the field and I needed to step away for a period. At that same time, this work with Nurture Your Journey was starting to uh, bubble up. Um, my I'd already been certified in labyrinth facilitation, and I'm not going to go into an explanation of what the labyrinth is, except that it is a pathway towards the center and back out. There's no right or wrong way to do it, but it does reflect the life journey. And, um, and I realized that the path I was on was shifting, and I needed to get on that day-to-day -day driving there's a lot of driving in home hospice, being in the car, being in memory care units and looking around and saying, will that be my mother? Will that be my mother? Mm -hmm. So I realized it was time for me to make a shift. And um, I have a lot of, I'm blessed with many wise people in my life, as well as my connection with my own spirituality. And I knew it was time to make a shift. So two, about two and a half years ago, I left the hospice world and actually got a part-time job at New Seasons as cashier. What a huge shift. It was a huge shift um, because I needed that break and to work on Nurture Your Journey and listening to what that might develop and to walk alongside closer with my mother as she started into her decline into dementia. 
Uh, we had her 90th birthday party in May of that year, May of 2017. And um, thinking, we were joking she'd be around till she's 100. She wasn't having a, she was doing the slow slog of dementia, we called it. And then she had heart issues, and in February 2018, she died. Now, somewhere along that time frame, I thought, you know, so both my parents were English. They immigrated after World War II, as many English people did. Uh, there wasn't a lot of opportunity in London at that time with the war post-World War II. But I thought, and my dad, it was never important to him to go back. But my mom made frequent visits back to family. And though she never said, stated that she would want her ashes returned, something in me, my intuition said, to honor her, part of her should go back. So um, on the anniversary of her death in February 2019, I mixed up a portion of her ashes with um, Let Your Love Grow um, soil. So her ashes, we did have her cremated, which... Uh, uh, I'm a green death, a green burial person. So I wanted to make them as healthy as I could, her ashes. And um, I took a portion of those nice green ashes and um, set them aside to take with me on my sojourn. So I knew before my mother even died that I would want to take a portion of her back home. And I contacted her cousins and clarified. Uh, cleared with them that I would like to leave some on their property, and they were okay with that. And very nice of you to ask. I think <laughs> something very important to do, just as a sidebar. Yes. So, And they were good with that. These cousins are um, 20 and 18 years younger, so they're her younger cousins. Um, so started. So she, she died um, in February 2018, um, and then I got to start doing the, the work of keening her death, um, and processing what that would look like. And what began as a simple trip home to take some of her ashes started to develop into something much larger, and it became sojourning with grief. Um, and not just a trip to England to take a few of her ashes home. Yeah, sojourning with grief. That sounds very deep and heavy and meaningful. Yeah. So if you look at my blogs on my website, nurtureyourjourney.net, um, you'll see I've personified grief oftentimes with a capital G, grief, as well as a small G, grief. And I say grief is my mentor. Grief has taught me so much um, as we journey together. I say we have losses in life um, from the time we are born and leave the wet womb until we leave this embodied self, um, whether it be loss of expectations, loss of relationships, uh, losses we don't even realize we have until something pecks at us at the window, taps at the window. And um, going on that journey, well, even before that, I realized I, I, hmm, I had a deep longing to connect with this country that I was not rooted to. I'm born in the United States and living in the Willamette Valley and then Portland from the age of four. I felt rooted to this land but as my mother declined, and then after her death, I felt a deep, deep longing to connect to my ancestral roots. And so I started to explore that in readings and uh, internet searches, and what would that look like? Part of that was walking the land, which I feel is um, I'm a hiker um, and a walker here, and uh, connect with nature very strongly. 
And I looked at something called coast to coast is something I discovered, where I walked from the Irish Sea to the North Sea over 13 days with a group. Wow. And um, it was altogether 201 miles. I did have one day off because my blisters were so bad. (laughs) But that was okay. But that was a way to connect with the land. Did you scatter any ashes during that walk, or did it not feel right? So that was part of the intuitive process I had. So I landed in Scotland. My mother loved Scotland. And in Edinburgh, and she loved daffodils. Uh, When I was in Edinburgh, I was at the base of Edinburgh Castle, and there's a park called Prince's Park. And there were some beautiful daffodils, and that felt like a place to leave. a. I had these little plastic containers of her ashes. Plus, I have a good friend whose aunt did fused glass. And when her, my friend's mother died, they would put little portions of ashes in these fused glass hearts. So she offered to let me do some. So I took uh, four of them with me. And then the other two were for my, uh, for grandchildren, for my brother and I. Did ten all together. And um, so I took four of those with me, and I left one of the fused glass hearts in the midst of these daffodils, plus sprinkled some ashes in Scotland. The next time I sprinkled some ashes, were her birthday happened while we were on the coast to coast. So while we were walking um, on a on a day, I told the guide about it being my mother's birthday and if it felt appropriate. Um, just a few days before that, I started noticing forget-me-nots on the path. And if anyone's familiar with forget-me-nots, of course, they're a flower that symbolizes remembrance of someone just like Rosemary does. And that day we were walking, and I didn't see any forget-me-nots. We'd come out of the valley, and we're more in farmland. But he said, I think I know a place. So we're traveling and I'm thinking well, well maybe but I'm th- and I, I hold things very loosely so I think you know if it's not going to work today it's not going to work today but sure enough we came th- we were walking through a cattle pasture and he says how about here and I'm looking I go oh. and then I spotted the forget-me-nots I go that's the sign here and there's a little stream running through here so my companions on this journey who we've now become close friends because we've walked all this time together. We sprinkled the ashes, and I dropped the little heart, and I turned around, and all these cattle are looking at me, watching as I do this, as well as my companions on the journey. So I dropped them there. Um, I scattered them. Then, of course, with my at my cousin's place, where her two cousins that she was close to gathered, I wrote a blessing for that, um, strong believer in ritual. And then I had an uncle who um, died, before, well, when I was two, when I was just a toddler, uh, my mother's brother, and I took those to his gravesite in the London area, and that was the last heart and deposit of the ashes. So, did you feel pretty complete with that for her? Yes, um, I do. I I brought some. I took eight containers all together, and I brought six home. I think there were a couple other places I just deposited ashes. And I can't remember exactly the other two right now. That's interesting. But those are the four main areas. Um, And actually have not deposited her other ashes here, which will be Mount Hood eventually, uh, which is where my dad was scattered all those years ago. Um, Say they will be reunited at that point in time. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. So connecting with her there. And then I discovered my father more deeply. 
because I after my mother died, I realized I, we'd never I'd never really grieved my father's death. So in releasing her, I also was reawakened to my grief for my father. Now, do you find that since you have been reawakened with grief, you've had the loss of two parents, which I guess sort of makes you an adult orphan? Does this help you connect better to your work and the people you're serving? Yes, I think every time I I delve into my own grief, that awakens something in me and makes me more more compassionate, more empathetic to being in grief with other people. Um, as I was on the journey, I would write these um, invitations from my mentor, grief, and I I would discover little things. And I so in my blog, I try I use a personal story and then I try to expand it so it's relative to other people and. Um, so I say things like, so I asked my wise, my wise mentor grief as I continue to reflect on my retreat. I was on a retreat at one point. How does this relate to my loss? And grief offers, you cannot hurry a journey through loss. Take the time needed. Time around you will continue at a seasonal pace while you feel you are moving at a rock's pace. They are congruent. You can live in and appreciate both worlds. Listen to the whispers from the deep well of grief. When you are ready, dive in and trust. You will rise to the surface again, just where you are meant to be. If you need to find a womb to crawl into and take time out to rest, allow yourself that gift. The seasons will continue without your active participation. Allow yourself to dream of wild places and go there in your dreams for real if possible. And then find a small stone to hold in your hand. Do you have a question for it? Does it have something to stay, say to you? So something tactile that you can hold on to um, were some of the things that came up for me while I was, while I was walking, walking the land. Yeah, great thoughts. I like how you frame it and write it, and I can see you now at Grief Rights reading these things to people. I can see this being another part of your journey and what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. By the way, thank you for mentioning Grief Rights. That's a, a great organization if people aren't familiar with it. Tell us about it. Uh, griefrights.org is uh, by Mari Gonzalez and uh, Melissa Dodson and um, is a nonprofit, and they have monthly readings for people they have both curated and uh, open mic readings for people and for people to share their grief stories. If somebody wanted to do an open mic, is there a list they sign up on the internet? Do they show up? How do they do that? Mm. Let's see. I would go to griefrights.org on the on their website and con- contact Melissa and, or Mari. And say yeah. it'd be really important for me to share some of the words I yeah. wrote. Nice. Yeah. And where are these things held? They are in fluctuation. They vary from month to month at the moment. So, I remember I went to one at the um, Leech Botanical Garden. And uh. I thought that setting was gorgeous, and everything everybody said that night resonated with me greatly. And yeah, yeah. neat. Yeah. So yeah, I've read there four times, I ah. believe. And so very yeah. nice. Yeah. And you've, you're also a workshop facilitator for writing as well. I do that. Um, I just recently did one on grief and uh, the labyrinth path, writing and walking with grief and loss. Um, I use uh, poetry um, and different prompts to invite people into their own grief journeys, and then we walk the labyrinth as part of that. Mm, 
my response or what people feed the feedback I get from people is those gateways offer them a chance to explore grief in ways they haven't touched on before. Mm-hmm. So, um, been doing that for about three years. Oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. And so for Portland women's writers, how did you get involved? Obviously you're a writer of poetry mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's not, that's an amazing organization. And they all of a sudden they've reached out to you and have you involved too. Yeah. Portland women writers. I'd started taking workshops through them. Someone at, in the hospice at Serenity hospice where I worked had taken some workshops. And so I wanted to get back into writing. And so I took a workshop there and, and working with Don Thompson, who's the current um, curator of uh, Portland Women Writers, um, invited me to do a workshop. And as I say, the rest is history. So um, it's a great organization, non-judgmental writing space. It's not about, it's about generating work. It is not about uh, critiquing work. So you don't so. critique each other's or nor have a facilitator critiquing? No, no. You have a facilitator hold the space. Uh, and set the space up and uh, offer prompts and workshop uh-huh. or uh, weekly writings. And there's different ways. So go to portlandwomenwriters.org. I'm trying to remember if it's the dot I would org think or it's probably com. org, but I'm glad yeah. with your Nurture the Journey, you put the net on the end and said it to us because, again, always important to know the suffix. Yes, yeah. Um, so Portland Women Writers, great organization, uh, very uh, very safe place to share writings and explore different different ways. You'd mentioned that you'd work with moral injury. Can you mm-hmm. explain what that's about? Mm. So for veterans especially, it's when when our human way of being in the world is to not harm another person, but between um, what we train our veterans to do, we do something that is ab- aberrant to what we want to do morally. So then we have to learn to um, come to terms with how to reconcile that within ourselves. So for example, if a veteran had to um, kill a young child um, in the act of war, that would be a moral injury, or even to mm. kill another human being. So that's, a, that's an example of a moral injury. And do you find veterans are pretty easy to talk about these things? Uh, no, yeah, <laughs> it's a it's difficult. Yeah, it's a difficult place to be. So, yeah, so that was part of my training is delving into into dealing with that. How wonderful to have your softness yeah. and your active listening. Yeah, um, can you give us all a tip? How do we become better active listeners? Mm. Yeah, we all need more deep listeners in our life. We're definitely missing that in our world. So part of it is to be present and not to be coming up with an answer in your head. Uh, or what I'm going to say next, as soon as your mouth shuts, that sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> just to listen to uh, someone's story and then to just ask an inviting question like, can you say more about that? Or just repeat a phrase back. So um, so if you were to be saying something to me about your Thanksgiving meal and you said, oh, the kids were just really high-wired, you say, oh, tell me about how it is when kids are high-wired. Instead of saying, yeah, in my family, the kids were la 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 Instead of going back into your own story, staying with someone else's story for a while. Um, if someone is in their grief, they don't always want to hear... Um, so how are you today? How are you today? Mm. You might say something like, how are you in this moment? Mm. Or is there something that's giving you joy today? Um, not always focusing on the grief. So um, 
Yeah, just just sitting with somebody. Sometimes just silence is enough. Or to say, I'm not sure what to say today, but I just want you to know I'm concerned about you. You've been listening to KKPZ 1330 AM The Truth. Thank you so much to my guest, Ann Richardson. You can find more about her on nurturethejourney.net. And until we meet again next week, be excellent to each other. <laughs>